And if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to the book of James. That's where we're going to be camping out tonight. What an incredible way to start our service with just lifting up the name of Jesus and celebrating stories of life change. And man, it's a, it's a great week of ministry. Uh, man, I, I, I'm going to share a little bit more about Unashamed and everything that took place this last weekend. But before I do, let me pray that God would arrest our heart. He would get a hold of us so that we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Father God, that's our prayer tonight. You would speak louder than any voice in this room. Your voice would be maximized and my voice would be minimized for your glory, our joy, and the world's good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, one year ago from today, my baby girl, Camille was born. And so we celebrated one year today. That's right. And so I stayed home from work this morning and we celebrated her. And this is a picture from one of our very own young adults came over and took it. She's a photography guru and professional. And, and so this is Camille Elizabeth. And so she got to celebrate one year today and dive into a piece of cake that we got from our favorite place, McLean's Bakery. And so, man, it's been a privilege of, uh, of just being a father. And I know my wife, Kathy, would say the same. It's been a privilege of, of being a mom. And so I, I share that with you today because, to be honest, I was not properly prepared to witness another human being coming out of another human being. I am type A to the max, okay? Uh, some of you know that. My wife, man, she goes with the flow, uh, whatever happens, happens kind of mentality. Uh, very little things rattle her, okay? For me, I like to have my ducks in a row. I like to be organized. I like to be, uh, you know, just everything that I could possibly think of. I want to dot every I, or dot, yeah, dot every I across every T, right? And so, man, I just followed her. Hey, girl, you're pregnant. I'm not. So we'll just do what you want to do. So uh, we took no classes, okay? They say you should take breathing classes. You should take uh, labor and delivery classes so you can coach uh, your wife up. No, none of that. You should take post-delivery, uh, post-baby classes. No, we took no classes. Don't judge me soon. And so, yeah, we, we didn't. We, we didn't do that. I just followed her lead. And let me tell you, uh, we got the, uh, the call. The call came. My wife, uh, you know, went all the way up to the last week of, uh, of, of being able to be pregnant before the call came. And so we get the call from the doctor saying, hey, you're going to be induced on uh, October 16th. And so we go into the hospital. We're excited. It's about to happen. Some of you don't know what induce means. That just means they, they, they speed up the delivery process. They speed up the labor process. And so sure enough, within about 24 hours, Miss Camille Elizabeth Jones, seven pounds, six ounces, burst herself forth into the world. I'll spare you all the details, okay? And, and man, I'm there, and I see this go down. And I, I, right before it goes down, I'm turned to the nurse. I say, hey, I'm ready. I, I can catch her. And she says, hey, you just stay right where you are. 
designed to stay. You just be there to coach your wife. I said, hey, I played baseball. I'm trying to lighten up the mood. It's already intense enough. And so I played baseball. I got some hands. You know, I'm ready to catch my girl. And she said, no, you're good. And so in that moment, she comes onto the scene. And, man, I start weeping. I start losing it. And I'm weeping because, man, when my eyes meet with her eyes, she's six pounds, seven, or seven pounds, six ounces. She's dark hair. She's got these big eyes. You saw her in the picture. And they're staring at me like she's staring at my soul. And so, man, it's it's an incredible moment that I'm that I'm experiencing her here in, 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 the, in the delivery room. And man, I give her back to the nurse, and, and they get us situated in another room. And Man, it's a, it's a great deal. I don't know if you've ever been to the doctor, uh, you know, or, or the hospital and stayed uh, overnight, but we stayed three nights, and I started getting used to this thing. You can give the baby away when you're ready to take, you know, get some sleep, and, and, and they give you any type of food that you want, and, and they come, and they remind you when you're supposed to feed, and, and they change the diapers. I'm like, man, this is kind of cool. I think I could get used to this. Just bring her back when she starts talking and we'll be good to go. We can set up some visitation rights and, you know. But then the day comes <laughs> where they say, hey, Mr. Jones, Mrs. Jones, it's time to take your baby home. And I said, oh, okay, what does that look like? Well, let me check your car seat. Check, your, check my car seat. What? Yeah, we got to inspect the car seat. Like, you have to inspect my car? Like, car seats are like spaceships these days. What, what, what could you possibly inspect? Like, man, you know, like back in the day, they just gave you the child, and you just kind of hung out in the car and strapped them in, and, and you were on your way. Car seat, your inspection, what the heck? Yeah, well, our car seat passed the test. We go downstairs. I'm, 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 I'm you know, doing the dad thing, you know, I'm, you know, bowing up, you know, making sure, turning the corner. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I'm not bumping anything. I'm turning to my right, turning to my left, making sure that no one's around me. I got 50 feet of clearance, you know. Man, no one's about to mess with my child. So I put her in the car seat. We get on the highway. I'm hanging out in the right lane, not the left lane like I usually do, you know, the fast lane. No, no. I'm me mugging every person that gets close. A baby on the board. You know, so like, come on. What's wrong with you? 10-4 the whole time. No texting. You'd be proud. No texting. We get home. Things start to settle down. We put her in the crib. Man, we take a big, deep breath. We're excited. Fast forward about three weeks. Camille's sleeping. Kathy's passed out. And I'm literally putting myself in a position where I can just self-reflect. And I sit on the couch and I said, oh, my goodness. What have I gotten myself into? Everything in my life changed. I was getting four hours of sleep. Like, my, my best sleep is behind me, I was thinking. Like, cleanliness, order, organization, absolutely not. That's an afterthought these days. My life is changing before my eyes. My, my, my checkbook started diminishing, my, or my check, check, checking account started diminishing. Like everything started to change in my life in this moment. And I said, what just happened? This is the conversation I'm having with God, right? And so in this moment, I am just basically doing an inventory of my entire life and saying, man, hey, this is an incredible gift, but man, I don't know if I'm ready. This is crazy. 
Because I don't know if I'm ready for this much change. And so you're probably saying, hey, man, why are you sharing that story? It's a cool story. You laughed laughed a little bit. But I share that story with you tonight because as we turn a corner, as we open up the book of James, you're going to see James begin to challenge our thinking and our practice. See, I believe that a lot of people come into this place and you can, you know, go back to a time in your life when you've committed your life to Jesus and and, and you said the prayer when you were younger. But here's the problem. Not much has changed. And so James is going to tell us that when we follow Jesus, there there are some undeniable changes in our life. And everything about us, if we say we have faith, everything about us is going to change. And so some of you come into this place and, man, you've left the church because you tried this faith thing out and it really didn't do much for your life and and it really didn't change much and you just got kind of frustrated and you kind of got, you know, a little disenchanted with the church and with faith. And James is going to challenge us tonight with this truth that if you have true faith, then faith works. This is why I titled the message tonight, Faith Works. And come on, come on, come on. Do you really want a faith that has absolutely no purpose behind the Sunday mornings and the Tuesday nights? Do you really want a faith where you just kind of show up and and someone asks you, hey, how are you doing? I'm I'm good, I'm good. But you know not everything's really good. Come on, come on. Do you really want a faith where you just put on the Christian t-shirt and you just act like you're a Christian and and it just kind of, you know, you sing the songs and you listen to the message and then you walk out and nothing really changes? Do you really want a faith that what you say is inconsistent with your practice? Come on, we have enough of those people. We have enough of those people that surround our life and surround the church daily. And I'll prove this to be true by sharing with you an article I read from a book titled Unchristian by a guy named Steve Kinnanem. He says this, many of those outside, so outside of the Christian faith, think Christians no longer represent what Jesus had in mind. That Christianity in our society is not what it was meant to be. We're seen as hyper-political, out of touch, pushy in our beliefs, and arrogant. And the biggest perceptions of all is that we're homophobic, hypocritical, and judgmental. Simply put, in the minds of many modern-day Christianity, in, in, excuse me, simply put, In the minds of many, modern-day Christianity no longer seems Christian. And much of that image has been earned. We've acted, we've talked in ways, we've lived out our life in ways that have stolen God's reputation, he says. See, this is how the world views the church. 91% views the church as homophobic. 87% views the church as judgmental. 85% of the world views the church as hypocritical. And so the harsh reality is that this is a big part of the church. But let me tell you something. Tonight, it doesn't have to be a big part of your life. So tonight, I want to talk to you about what does a dead faith look like? What does a real faith look like? And then before we leave tonight, what does it look like to live out our faith in the way that God intended? Like right here in Kansas City, not like some foreign mission trip thing. Nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. We do that. But right here in your everyday life, intersecting the person in your cubicle, intersecting the person in your classroom, 
intersecting that person at the coffee shop? What could it look like in your life? This text is going to allow us to see if our faith is worthless and if we're just fooling ourselves or if we have a real faith. And if we do, let's celebrate. Let's dive in. James 2, verse 14, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? So he's proposing this question. Can, can, can that kind of faith save a person? If a brother or sister, so he gives you an example. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Man, James is calling us out tonight. Like he's calling us to the carpet to do some self-reflection, to do some self-examination. In the same way when I was sitting on that couch and I was thinking about this baby girl named Camille that came into our lives, I was doing some self-reflection of, man, has my life changed? Absolutely it's changed. There's no denying it. And so tonight, has your life changed? If you call yourself a Christian, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, does your life look different than the rest of the world? So first spiritual truth, number one, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead, James is saying. Before we go any further tonight, I want to talk about two types of works. The first works is what James has been hammering on. It's the do's. Care for the orphans, care for the widows, you know, feed the poor. Do these things. And, and, and these things, he says, are the good works which God has prepared before the foundations of the world. And then the second category for work is the do nots. You know these things to be true. We talk about these things. From time to time here at Paradigm, the, the do nots is, hey, do not get drunk. Do not have sex with anyone you want or, you know, before marriage. Or do not sleep with your girlfriend. Do not, uh, you know, move in with, with someone before you get married. Do not worry. The do nots. But here's the problem with the church. And I'm talking about the, old, the, the overarching church. Many times we are accused of just focusing on the do nots instead of the do's. And when you focus on the do-nots instead of the do's, then your faith becomes purpose, purposeless. You have to have a do faith, not just a don't faith. Don'ts, don't, don'ts deliver you from destruction, but do's help you to see that your faith has meaning and purpose behind it. And so James begins tonight by saying, hey, look. Your talk is absolutely worthless if it's not backed up by work. In other words, workless faith is worthless faith. Worthless. Like you, no works to back up your faith, man. He would say that that is absolutely worthless. It's incongruent with who Christ has called you and I to be. The first week that we moved into our new house about three years ago, 
Man, it was awesome, man. We were, we were ex- excited, and, and uh, man, we had boxes everywhere. But one of the things that I was most excited about was our house came with a free washer and dryer. Like, the people just left it. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, I'm not going to have to pay for a washer and dryer. Like, that's like over $1,000, right? And so what happened the first week, I go down to put, a clo- to put some clothes in the washer, and it just stops working. And I'm like, oh, great. And so if you know anything about me, man, like, I am not handy. I'm the worst handyman out there. And so I start pulling stuff apart, and, and, uh, and, and, and it's, it comes to the, the point where, man, it is beyond repair. One of those things, like, it's just beyond repair. And so my washing machine breaks, and so we have to go out and get a new one. And I share this with you tonight because I wonder how many times does God look at our faith and he thinks the same thing. Your faith is worthless, man. Because you're not doing what your faith was designed to do. In the same way, a washing machine, if it does not work, it's absolutely worthless. Like, if your faith doesn't work, listen to me, it's absolutely worthless. And tonight, he's trying to get a hold of you and me. Me. Me too. Absolutely. This this passage has been beating me up all week. What does this look like? The tension behind faith and works. James is saying, you need to stop going back to that moment you said the prayer. But God, but, but, but Josiah cried out to God. I was remorseful. I walked the aisle in front of everybody. I even got baptized. I had tears, Josiah. But, but, but there was nothing to back it up. But there was nothing to show for. Like you, you, you had real talk. You might have had a real moment. But you didn't have a real faith. Because he's honing in on this idea that, man, faith without works is absolutely dead. And I know that stings for some of us. As we look at our life and we see some inconsistencies, if we had to be honest. He goes on and says in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So he's basically saying, hey, there's some people that says, no, I have faith. I believe in God. And other people say, no, I got works, though. Which one's more important? Let's keep reading. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? I'm convinced that there's people in this place tonight, there's people out there that really do not want to know this truth because they're comfortable in their ignorance. Like they're comfortable not knowing because if they knew, then, then they know that they would be held accountable to go and do it. And here's, here's the problem. Listen, 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 listen. Listen, lean in. Here's the problem with you coming week in and week out, hearing message after message, singing song after song. And walking out the door and acting like nothing changed, you're going to be accountable to that for what you know and what you've heard. And James is saying, listen, listen, do, do you really, oh foolish man, do you really want to know that faith without works is dead? I, like some of you, I, I, I know, I was there. I didn't want to know that. I wanted to suppress that. 
Like a beach ball, when you, when you try to suppress a, a beach ball in the water, you can suppress it you know, for a little while, but then it always rises back. It's always going to come back to the surface. And James is saying, hey, hey, this, this truth, faith without works is dead. It's always going to come back and surface. Some of you need to know less and do more. Rather than knowing more and do less. I love what Chad said a few weeks ago. Some of you need to know less and do more. Rather than knowing more and doing less. Some of you come into this place, you have all the knowledge that you need to walk out your faith. You have all the knowledge you need to, to go and make an incredible kingdom impact. Like go and, and, and leverage your time, your treasure, and your talents for the glory of God, your joy, and the world's good. You have all the knowledge. You don't even need any more knowledge. You just need more practice. And James says again that faith without works is dead. You can't say you have faith and then never show any works to back it up. You just can't. It's an impossibility. Faith without works is just talk, he says. You can, you can talk about some moment, some aisle you walked, some prayer you prayed. But unless your life is a reflection of your talk, it is dead. Spiritual truth number two, if you're taking notes. Belief is not the end. Belief is not the end. Real faith is belief lived out. Knowledge is not faith. Let me say that again. Knowledge is not faith. Some of you come into this place and you're like, hey, I just need more knowledge. No, you don't. You need more practice. And so you think that if you just get more knowledge, then you're going to be more faithful. No. No, that's not what James is saying. I believe in God. I believe in his death and resurrection. Why? Because your mama said so? Because your grandma, you wanted to please your grandma or that girl that said, hey, if you don't commit your life to Christ, man, listen, you can't date me. And you're like, man, I don't want to miss out on that, so I'm good. Come on. I'm a Jesus father. I believe in him. <clears throat> Come on. Why? If you say you have belief, if you say you have faith, Why? James is putting us to the test tonight. Knowledge is not faith. I know that I believe in Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Well, so does Satan. Did knowledge and belief save him? Did it save him? No. And he goes on and says, so you're no better than the demons. If you found peace of mind just knowing what Jesus has done for you, then you're no better than the demons who know that too. And even they tremble, even they shudder, even they squeal because they know their eternity. Trusting in knowledge is faith. Knowledge is not faith, but trusting, embracing, believing, true belief is faith. See, faith is taking that knowledge and trusting in it. I truly trust what Jesus did for me on the cross and through the resurrection. That saves you. You see, that's a trusting faith. See, what I love to do with my daughter, it's, you know, I, I started this about five months ago. And man, we just have the, the best of times. I wish I could bring her up here right now, but for the sake of time, I can't. But I will put, my, I, I have my, my daughter's feet in my hands. And, 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 and man, when she feels that, I've, I've done this, man, several times. When she feels me doing that, she begins to stand up. 
and I hold her out here, and you're, some of you are like, you are the most irresponsible parent <laughs> I've never heard. No, 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 don't judge me. I haven't dropped her once. Shoot, kidding me? I haven't got a video to prove it. But, but she stands up on my hands, and she has the best of times. Like, she's smiling. She's loving it. Why? Because she trusts me. As her father, she trusts that my hands are not going to let her go. I mean, anything could happen in that moment. Yes, she could fall. Yes, she could take a horrible dive, and I would feel absolutely horrible. But in that moment, for that split second, she trusts me. This is what God is saying through James. That knowledge, a trusting in knowledge is faith. See, this is my story. I was an intellectual believer for 21 years of my life. Man, I would say I believed in God. I wore the cross necklace. Man, I, I, I absolutely prayed the prayer when I was eight years old on the end of my mama's bed. Man, I went off to college. I played baseball. We were, you know, blowing and going. You know, I was going to the parties on the weekend. I was, you know, you know, doing the deal. Like, you guys know this, man. I was neck deep in pornography. I lost my virginity. It just kept spiraling out of control. I thought that that was the life, man. I even remember in those moments praying because I was guilty at times. And so I would get at the end of my bed and I would pray and I would ask God to forgive me of my sin. But the whole time I was plotting in my heart what I was going to do the next weekend. See, guilt is way different than conviction. Guilt is something you can live with. You just suppress it and you just keep living however you want to live. But when conviction comes, man, it's so heavy on your heart that you have no choice. And so, man, junior year in college came. Everything I'd been working so hard for was finally starting to fall into place. And, man, I wish I could say I was living the high life. But, man, I had the most unsatisfaction, unfulfillment in my life. In that moment, I got off the bus my junior year. I went back to my, 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 my apartment that night, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, how have I allowed myself to get here? If these things aren't going to do it, what's going to do it? And I cried out to God. I said, God, if you're real, like I mean real, man, I want to know. And I started a journey that night. And I finally, for the first time, became broken over my sin in light of a holy God and realized that sin was leading me to death. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man and that way ends in death. That's where I was headed. And he arrested my heart in that moment. And I believe that he saved me. See, I had the knowledge, but knowledge without faith is what was lacking. The ability to trust that knowledge, trusting in knowledge is faith. Why? Because true faith works. Faith works. If faith works, then an intellectual belief about God is not the end. Belief is not the end. And that night, everything began to change. It's not like I woke up the next day and I was free from temptation. No, it was a dogfight, man. It was a battle. It was a stinking, waging war daily. 
But something in my heart changed because I finally, for the first time, saw God as a good, good daddy who wanted good things for me. And I trusted him. I never asked God what he would have for me until I trusted in what he said for my life my junior year. I began to ask God, God, should I sleep with her? No? Okay. I won't. God, should I take this job, even though it pays only $500 a month, but I have the opportunity to move forward the gospel with a bunch of high school students? Okay, God, I will. God, should I go over here and feed this person? Okay, I will. God, should I buy this? No, okay, I won't. Even if I didn't get the same notoriety, even if I didn't get the same recognition, even if it didn't pay me what I thought I deserved, but I was going to trust you, God, even if it doesn't make sense to the world, even if I have to be single till I'm 31, true story, that's my story. I'm going to trust you, God. You're a good daddy. You know what's best. God, I'm going to trust you. See, that's a, that's a saving faith that, that Paul's talk, or James is talking about here. Even if I miss out on the party, even if I don't get invited to go out this weekend, God, I trust you. What's a dead faith? It's intellectually agreeing about Jesus without submitting your life to Jesus. It's agreeing in your mind about God without ever submitting your heart to God. It's a belief that is void of actions. Look at what Romans 10, 9 says. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Wait, stop right there. Your head? No, no, no. The Bible is very meticulous. You believe in your heart, not your head, that Jesus is is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, belief is not the end. See, this is what I know about men and women. They always say what they think, but they do what they believe. Come on, come on, you know this to be true. We say what we think. Man, I said what I thought. God, I believe you. God, I got the cross necklace on. God, I went to church this last Sunday, even. But, 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 you, but you do what you believe, Josiah. Ah, okay. God, help my unbelief. Change my belief. Help me to see the way you see. And so this weekend, man, it was an expression of, of what I've wanted since we launched the ministry. Jesus intersects my life. Make a long story short, we move up to Kansas City. We start this ministry called Paradigm. And ultimately, it led to this last weekend, which was an incredible display of what I've longed to see God do in the lives of young adults. This prayer tour, oh my gosh, it was incredible. It was all led by a team of about six young adults. One specifically, Matt Phillips, you heard him up here in the MC talk about it. He led this incredible prayer tour with about five other young adults. And then, you know, leading about 20 total, we go out to the darkest place of the city. We go to this, this place where the off-duty Lee Summit police officer was shot and killed at this place called California's in Westport. And we pray over the homicide rate. Then we go down to the, to the, uh, the strip club and go across the street. And we're just praying that, that God would redeem this, these women and that they, they would have right identity. And then we go and, 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 we, and we see corporate. And, and H&R Block's headquarters is in the heart of Kansas City. And we're praying over businesswomen and businessmen. And we're asking that God would use their influence influence to move forward the gospel. 
And then we partner with, a, with an incredible ministry called Elias, and we go out and we serve them. And then we go and we share the gospel and engage people with the, in conversations and share our stories and hear their stories. And then it culminates with a worship service called Unashamed, which got delayed, or excuse me, a worship service called Awaken, which got delayed and moved to another place because of the crazy storms that took place on Saturday night. And so I thought the weekend was over, but I was able to capture a moment that I wasn't anticipating by one of our young adults named Jordan. We were wrapping up the entire weekend on Sunday after church. We went back to the plaza. We ate at this place called Tom Foolery's, just a debrief. And I noticed at the table that we were missing one. And I was like, man, where's Jordan? What's going on? So I realized that he was out sharing the gospel to a man who was homeless. And so all throughout the weekend, we had designated times where we would engage people and we would talk to people, but that was never the goal. The goal was just to engage people at any time. Because let me tell you something, that unashamed is not just some weekend, man. It's a lifestyle. And this young man who I've had the privilege to disciple for over a year is now walking out this faith that he embodies in such a way where he sees purpose and meaning, where he would delay eating food and being with his his friends, the people that he loves the most, because there's a greater love stirring in his heart for the people who need it the most. And so belief is never the end. And this is the message of James. When you have true faith and your faith works, your faith will always be accompanied by works. It gives purpose and meaning. And so James goes on in verse 21, he says this, was not not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Remember that story back in Genesis? Abraham has this son, Isaac, and God asked for the unfathomable. Can you imagine I was putting myself in the moment, in that moment, and when I was reading this, I, was, I, I put myself in a place where, man, God, what if you asked me to sacrifice Camille? Would I do it? Would, would, I, would I be obedient? And so Abraham goes. No why questions, no pushback. Has faith and goes, and he begins this journey. And you know the rest of the story. God spares his son. And provides another substitute, a ram in the thicket to sacrifice instead of his son. And so he's taking us to this story. And he goes on in verse 22 and he says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Verse 25, likewise, another example. Was not Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them 
out another way, excuse me, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther, the reformist, he wanted to rip this entire book out of the Bible. He wanted to get rid of the whole thing. He said it was inconsistent with the other scriptures, but I'm going to tell you tonight that it is consistent with the rest of the scriptures. Why? Because third and final spiritual truth, behavior follows belief. It always does. If faith works, then behavior will always follow belief. And this text gives us two examples from the scriptures of Abraham and Rahab. And I'm going to camp out mainly on Abraham. But the text said that there was a prostitute named Rahab. And Joshua sends a bunch of spies to Jericho to spy out the enemies. And so the king of Jericho sees that. And he goes to Rahab's house and he says, hey, where are the spies? And she said, hey, they were here, but they're not here anymore. And so in faith, she hides the spies because the spies are God's people. And the Bible goes on to say that her faith worked. She she hid them, and later on in her life, her life was spared because her faith was followed by action. It was followed by work. So now let's talk about Abraham. The text says, very controversial, that Abraham was justified by works. Let me tell you why this is so controversial, because it's in stark contrast to what Paul says when Paul says, hey, you're not justified by work. You're justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. So which one is it? Are you justified by work? Or are you justified by faith? And so before we go any, more, any further, let me explain something. The Bible is not wrong. Your faith should not be shaken. Paradigm will meet next Tuesday. It's all good. James and Paul were buddies. They were friends. They believed in the same Christ. They were moving forward the same gospel. They thoroughly enjoyed each other and living on mission But this is what James says in James 2.24. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Wow. And then Paul says in Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law or the works of the law. And so this is what you have to understand. Justification is God declaring us righteous. Period. That's what justification is. It's a point in our life where he looks at our life and he sees Jesus, that we put our faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. By faith alone in Jesus Christ you're saved. So then Paul talking about our justification before God. Paul is saying that your justification before God comes through faith alone. James is talking about our justification before men. Why? Because it's important that you and I, when we walk out of these doors, we're a living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And when people look at our life, who are they going to see? They're going to see you or they're going to see God. Is your faith real? But both Paul and James are speaking of two different audiences. And they're using the same word justified, but they're using it in different ways. Can this happen? Absolutely. Several weeks ago, I was, I was talking to our children's pastor. He's on staff. He's from the UK. And we were talking about football. And about halfway through the conversation, I was like, hey, bro, like I'm talking about American football, like Kansas City Chiefs football. And he was talking about football, like, like the soccer game, right? And so in that moment, like, it's the same word, but it means two different things. And so this is what's happening in, this, in these passages. You see the same word means something different to us. So Paul and James are using the same word justifies in different ways. 
So they're, not only are they using the word justified in different ways, they're speaking to two different audiences. Paul is talking to a religious group of people. This religious group of people would say, hey, no, no, no. Like, I'm saved because of my church attendance. I'm saved because of my sacraments. I'm saved because I obey the laws. I'm saved because how many times I pray a day. And, and, and Paul says, wait a minute. No, you're not. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. You're not justified by what you do. You're justified by what Christ has done. And so James is preaching to a group of people who says, yeah, I have faith. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he resurrected from the dead. But these people, life looks no different than the rest of the world. And, 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 and here's the problem. It's an inconsistent faith because what they say doesn't line up with their actions. And it's in stark contrast to what we say we believe. And James is like, no, man, your faith without works is dead. Question. Which one is more relevant to us today? Both. Come on, come on. You, you know this to be true. There's, there's organizations, there's churches, there's, there's places of, of, of gatherings where people gather and they put their faith in what they do, their church attendance, how many times they read the Bible, how many times they pray. It's all about them working their way to God. And so I would take them to a passage of Scripture and say, no, 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 no. No, this is not true. You are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no man may boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Why? Because if you could get to heaven based on what you do, what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? And you would be sure to boast about it if you could get to heaven by what you do. And then we have another group of people. Churches, organizations, people who meet and gather. And they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Man, I had the prayer. I said the sinner's prayer. Somebody told me to walk the aisle and they told me to repeat this prayer after them. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Amen. Amen. You're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. But then you walk out of that place and your life looks no different than the rest of the world. That's my story. And James is saying that this is inconsistent. This is incongruent. It can't happen. If your faith is real, it always is accompanied by works. And so I'm going to take him to Ephesians 2.10. That says, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works works, that you should walk in them. See, you have justification before God, grace alone, which saves you. Justification before men, it's your works. It's those things that line up to your talk. And Paul and James were buddies, and they're preaching the same thing to two different crowds. Isn't it amazing that we have a book that is complete in nature and it gives us answers wherever we might find ourselves tonight? 
I love this because Paul is saying, and it's simple. It's, he, said, he said, you don't work for your salvation. You can't do enough good deeds to get to heaven. No, you never work for your salvation, but you do work from your salvation. And so tonight he's saying, hey, listen, if you've been saved, if you have a faith, then where are you in that journey? Like, is, is your life looking any different than the world? Does your life line up with your talk? Martin Luther said this about justification. Justification does not require the works of the law, but it does require a living faith which performs its works. He says you're justified by faith, but when you're, when you're justified by faith, you work. Faith comes first. Belief always works, but then, excuse me, belief is always first, but then works always is accompanied by faith. He goes on and says this. I love it. Faith, however, is a divine work within us. It changes us and makes us be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes altogether new men in heart and spirit and mind and powers and brings with it the Holy Spirit. Oh, it is living, active, busy, mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask if there are good works to do, but before the question rises, it already has done them and is always at the doing of them. He who does not these works is a faithless man. He who does not these works, he who is a faithless man. Kind of some old English, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> See, notice the two people that God decides to illustrate. You got a man, you got a woman, you got Abraham, you got Rahab. The gospel is never sexist. The gospel is inclusive to, to women, and it's inclusive to men. Notice the, wom the woman that God decides to use as an example. This woman is a prostitute. That is like the scum of the earth back then. And God is communicating something through this text, and he's saying, hey, no matter where you find yourselves, there's hope. No matter how far you've gone, you can't out -sin the grace of God. No matter how much sin is robbing you of God and robbing you of true joy and fulfillment, listen, you can always come back. And then he uses this man, Abraham, who's been following God for years now, and then God calls Abraham with the ultimate ask to sacrifice his son Isaac. And I wonder, I just wonder how many of you, if God called you to a big ask tonight, you would be willing to sacrifice the things that are most dear and near to your heart for God and the gospel to move forward. Faith is demonstrated by what we're willing to sacrifice. The things that are near and dear to our heart. I'll close with this. Camille's birthday party almost didn't happen today. Because at 20 weeks, we got news from the doctor that she had a spot on her heart. And we had no idea what that meant. We just went to the doctor's office one day. The doctor comes in and says, hey, I got to do this. It's protocol. But, hey, you have, a, uh, you know, you, you, you have the total freedom to, to abort this child if you like. And Kathy and I looked at each other and we said, absolutely not. This is, that's not even on the radar. That's not even up for discussion. So, No. You see, her heart was sick, it was broken. And if her heart wasn't made whole, then she would never have been born with the heart that she has today. 
See, I share this with you tonight because the reason your faith is dead is because your heart is broken. Your heart's sick. So James is telling us in verse 26 that for the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. See, you can't separate faith and works. And the reason why your faith is not working is because you've never truly given your heart to Jesus in complete surrender. Your heart is distracted by all these worldly things. And here's the crazy thing, man. I, could, I couldn't heal Camille's heart. God had to do that. In the same way, I can't heal your heart. God's got to do that. Quit letting Kansas City dupe you, man. Stop playing games with Jesus. What would it look like if the young adults who are sitting in this place went out these doors tonight and they began to get on mission? Let me pray that we would. Father God, as we wrap up this incredibly challenging and difficult and weighty text. God, I pray that you would do your work in this place. And I pray that you would have your way. And God, you would convict of sin and righteousness and you would allow all of us to come to a place of complete surrender so that we experience the fullness of who you are. It's in Christ's name we pray.